All right. If you have your Bibles, who here has their Bible, physical Bible? Raise it up. Kenya Church, ladies and gentlemen, Christians, raise up your sword. If you have a digital sword, that's cool too. But I will prep you. I want you, if you have your own physical Bible today, I want you to get out a pen. By the way, does anybody need a pen? Miss Hattie might be throwing them out. Hopefully you have your glasses on so she doesn't stab anybody in the eye. (laughs) Just kidding. We're going to do something. You're not going to be crossing out things in God's Word. You're going to be, let's say, highlighting or circling. If you're daring, for the daring, if you have your own physical Bible, get your pen. I got an extra one here if anybody needs. I might use red. I got a red or black one. If you need one, let me know. You might need a pen, by the way. If you have a pew Bible, please don't write in this one. (laughs) That's a shared Bible. If you need a Bible, let us know. We'll get you a free one too. Anybody need a pen? Miss Hattie's going to like throw one at you. No? (laughs) All right. So if you have your physical Bible, break it on out. This is one of those churches where you need to have a Bible. Please, please, please. Why? We're commanded to test what? Test all things. That's in First Thessalonians. You want to be like a Berean. That's Acts 17, verse 11. How can you search the scriptures daily to see if these things are so if you don't have a Bible? Okay? So, uh, I don't have enough money. It's not an excuse. We'll give you a Bible. Okay? This is one of those churches. We're not asking you to give. We want to give to you, and we want to be able to be a blessing to you. Okay? So, make sure to bring your Bible if you can. If you don't have a Bible and you need one, let us know as well. But if you are... With us here, please stand up if you're able to. We're going to start by reading in chapter 7. Oh, sorry. Put it here. (laughs) Oh, is that okay? Why don't I put it up here? We're going to start from chapter 7. Still in the way? I can't tell. Chapter 7, we're going to start at verse 1. Romans 7, starting from verse 1, it says this, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. Verse 3 says, So then if, while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, oh Lord, we thank you again for your holy word. Lord, we ask that you would open Open up our understanding, the brilliance that's contained within the Bible. Can you please open up this passage for our hearing, for our knowing, for our understanding that we can apply? Lord, I know you're speaking to each and every heart that's here today and those that are listening. Father, can you please help us to let go of the distractions that we would hear that call from you in heaven, that you would speak to us through your still small voice, Lord as you whisper to our hearts, or sometimes it feels like for me that you're shouting within as I read your scriptures, Lord. Help us to read. Help us to hear from you. 
and help us to apply these things. We ask in the mighty name of Jesus, empower us. In Jesus' name we do pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. You guys could have a seat if you would, please. So as we open up, let me just say, let's say if I were to have a day scheduled to go to court, and I have, let's say it's a speeding ticket or something like that, and i got to go to stand before a judge and plead my case. Well, what happens, let's say, if I die? Now, i got something scheduled. Let's say it's scheduled for tomorrow, Monday morning. I have to go to, to, to Queen's Court. <laughs> okay, I have to go to Queen's Court because I have a speeding ticket. I, I don't know how everything works there, but let's just say I have to go. And I'm scheduled to appear before a judge. But I die. I even die on the way there. Well, what would happen? I obviously then would have no obligation to show up. After all, if I'm dead, what are you going to do? Slap the cuffs on my wrists? It would be declared deceased. Yes. I am no longer obligated by that law. Hopefully you're following along. That's a very simple illustration. Why? Because death counsels all obligations to the law. And that's Paul's point in this passage, that death ended obligation to the law. And no, don't worry, we're not going to talk about you dying. Spiritually, maybe someone here needs to die to self. I know I need to. This might speak to you and preach to your heart, perhaps, but this definitely preaches to my own heart. So under the law, the Jewish believers, they knew certainly that, as it says here, quote, the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. But what happens once that man was dead? The law didn't apply. Makes sense, right? Pretty logical, makes sense. And this is what Paul's point is. This is what he's getting at. Now, you and I, we were dead, let's say, in Christ. Let's continue reading on. So we'll see how this sort of unpacks here as we traverse through chapter 7. Remember, this we're looking at this on the back of what we learned so far, all six chapters. And now we get into chapter 7, where it's more personal application of these things. And we're dead to the law now to be married to Jesus. Let's read what verse 4 and on says. Now, if you're a born-again Christian, if you believe that you're a sinner, that Jesus Christ is your Savior, you've already repented, you turned away from those sins of the past, kind of like caterpillar now turned to the butterfly you've been given a new life and now what well romans chapter 7 is an awesome must know must read must study passage for you and me definitely definitely freedom like we just sang about verse 4 it says therefore my brethren you also have become dead to the law notice it says through the body of christ now i want to spell this out this is not speaking of the church This is speaking of the physical body of Christ. He died where? On the cross at Calvary almost 2,000 years ago. You become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be, look at it says, married to another, to him who was raised from the dead. Who is that speaking of? Jesus that we should bear fruit to God. Let's continue reading on. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. Verse 6, 
but now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So through the body of Christ, it refers to the body of Christ, the physical body of Christ, not the spiritual body of Christ, the church, the physical body of Christ as he died on the cross at Calvary for you and me. Verse 4 again, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. He opens up this chapter, folks, gang, where he's talking about the fact and proving this point that, hey, when somebody dies, you're no longer obligated to the law. And now he's making it personally applicable to you and I. Hey, as born-again Christians, we also, notice in verse 4, therefore, in other words, what I just said, therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through what? Through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another. And this is what I want us to look at here. So in chapter 6, we learn, this is the last chapter, we learn that we're dead to sin. We're dead to sin. We all struggle with sin. If you don't, you know what we call you? Dead. Yeah, a liar. <laughs> That's good. A liar. Liar or dead, right? The struggle is over once you're dead. But what about if we realize that I died with Christ and my life is hidden within him? Then the struggle is over. And this is what he's getting at. We learn we're dead to sin in the last chapter. Now in this chapter, we learn we're also dead to what? To the law. But somebody has to die in order for the law to not be applicable. In order for me to not be obligated to the law. That's how he's opening up the chapter. And you and I might sit there and go, well, who died? Well, Jesus died and he died on the cross for our sins. He died for you and he died for me. And I must understand this. Again, verse 4, that you, make it, make it personally applicable to you. You also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. So life is no longer a bunch of rules and regulations. Praise God for that. Amen. Or would you rather live, raise your hand if you'd rather live according to 613 laws. That's death, right? By the way, this is the chapter of the Bible that we learned. It's a weird thing about the flesh and this life that we have. Every parent knows. I'm not going to pick on the kids because we're all like this, including me. I was actually worse than my own kids. But everybody knows that as soon as you write a rule, the flesh says, uh-uh, rules are meant to be. Look how ubiquitous this is. You all know this. I mean, come on, you guys quote that more than the Bible. That's crazy. <laughs> In the world, the flesh says rules are meant to be. Where do you get that from? You don't get that from Jesus or God or the Bible. That's the old nature of the flesh, right? And so as soon as you see a law that's there, your flesh is like, rules are meant to be broken. (laughs) You said it, and now you put it in my mind. You say, don't pick from that tree. Don't eat that stuff. Are you looking, God? I want to go there. Isn't that interesting? And just like Adam and Eve, the tree was in the midst of the garden. You're going to have temptation in the midst of your life. Why? Oh, is it because you don't love me, God? No, it's because you have to validly choose to say no to sin, no to the old life. Like, again, the caterpillar, that's no longer you, so to speak. Just using that as an illustration. 
You have to choose to love, choose to say yes to God, but it's got to be something valid, right? Sin is pleasurable. It's not going to be pleasurable forever though, right? It's got its payback. Sin pays. What does it pay? Death, right? Not right away. Many times, but the payback is death. So you and I have become dead to the law through what? According to verse 4? Through the body of Christ. Why? That we might be, what does it say? Married to, you know, the Bible is all about marriage. You'll probably hear me mention that. It starts with the marriage in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. God looks at Adam, uh-oh, ain't good for man to be alone. You're like a mess there. I praise God that he saw me like that. Not good for man to be alone. That was actually me crying physically. Face down, flat out. Physical tears. God, it's not good for man to be alone. Where is my wife? That's why by the time I met married Susan, or by the time I met her, and then later on I knew that she was the one, I'm like, what took you so long? Remember me telling you that? <laughs> I literally was like, what took you so long? <laughs> In God's good timing, His grace, right? <laughs> oh, I need His grace still. So the Bible starts with marriage. That's in Genesis. He's the author, the creator of marriage. We can't rewrite the rules. And we learn in Ephesians that marriage is a picture of who and what? Christ and the church. Every marriage is intended to be that, whether or not that person knows that, whether or not that married couple knows that. The Bible also ends with marriage. Revelation 19 we, the body of Christ, the church, are going to be married, so to speak, eternally to who? To Jesus. The Bible is all about marriage. Oh, I don't like marriage. And you're not going to like eternity. To The only picture of, what's the opposite of marriage, by the way, in our society? Divorce or separation. The only picture of divorce in eternity in the Bible is when someone rejects to be married eternally with Jesus. Guess what each and every human being is going to be that rejects eternity to be married with Jesus Christ. Where are they going to be? The lake of fire. Hell itself is going to be thrown in the lake of fire. You find that. Revelation 19, the last marriage is described there. Jesus Christ and his church. After he comes to set up his kingdom, the kingdom of God has not been established yet. Please understand that. It's got to be established by the king. Makes sense, right? Not by his subjects. It's going to be established by the king. The king comes back in what we call the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's Revelation 19. We follow him out of heaven. Okay, He's going to speak against the armies of the earth that are assembled, gathered against him to war. It'll be like, I, I don't even know. I kind of make fun of him. Be gone. Whatever. <laughs> I'm not sure what he says. Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. People are just going to be killed. And then when he's going to establish his kingdom here on this planet. Read Revelation 19 to the end of the book, just a couple chapters. You find out what's going to happen in the future. You don't need to go to Swami Guru or anybody. Read the Bible and you see Jesus is going to set up his kingdom here. And the eternal marriage is Jesus Christ with the church. And those that reject to be married eternally with them, they're going to be placed in a place called the lake of fire, where the devil, the false prophet, Everybody, which is probably the most people on the planet throughout the century, sadly. So coming back to this, 
Why have we become dead to the law through the body of Christ in verse 4? That you may be what? Married to another. So under Jewish law, when that husband, that person died, well, then that per- the other person was then open to marry another. And he's using that as that illustration, that it was there hidden in plain sight all along, that it's there in God's scriptures. When that person died, okay, then the other person's now open and free to marry another. And you and I have been died, or haven't died, have died. Look at this. You become dead to the law, verse 4, through what? The body of Christ, that you may be married to another. Oh, I know in our marriages, I had to clarify even with my bride, Susan, you know, we don't want to say, oh, honey, I'm going to love you forever. We might say that. That's very bad theology. No, because it really is till death do us what? To his part, right? There's <laughs> my wife. She's just very direct. I love you till I die. <laughs> you know, this is on the recording. <laughs> this is how we joke back and forth, by the way. Welcome to our marriage. <laughs> but we love talking about these things, even joking about them. Within scriptural theological accuracy, Okay, so we're going to be married to one another, but in eternity, there's only going to be one marriage. What is that? Christ and the church. Now, maybe someone needs to hear that, also, especially like the single folks that are here. I remember, it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. I'm like, Lord, it's good. <laughs> not good for man to be alone. Why? Because in a couple of days, I know in, in our world, it's not biblical. They're celebrating what? Even in a place I work, they're getting set up for what happens on Tuesday. February 14th, Valentine's Day. We remember these things more than like the scriptures, right? But the reality is this. I even remember being on the other side, being a Christian single, like, Lord, what about me? Okay. So remember, you're married to Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian single, you're married to Jesus Christ. Or technically, you could say, I'm engaged to be eternally married to him. Make sense? Don't break the engagement. <laughs> okay, make sense? You are... Dead to the law, verse 4, through the body of Christ. Why? That you may be married to another. You're going to be eternally married to Jesus Christ, the best husband. And I got to apologize. I know my bride, I'm not the best husband. I try to be better, but the best husband, the best bridegroom is who? Jesus Christ. Please know that. So don't slip into depression. Don't go, oh, I wish I could get my valentine. Oh, if it were just but for a moment. Listen, there's a lot of guys out there on the streets and in the world, and I used to be one of those knuckleheads. They'll tell a girl what he knows that they want to hear because he's after something else. Just be careful. But Jesus, he died. You are to be married to him, that you may be married to another. To him who was raised from the dead, of course, it says in verse 4. Why? Notice it says at the end of verse 4. Can we read this together? That we should bear fruit to God. Oh, that was good. Let's read it again. That we should bear fruit to God. To be married eternally with Jesus Christ, but still stuck in this body of flesh, in this temporal state right now, what do I do with the rest of my life? You should bear fruit to God. Okay. How do I do that? 
Well, I'm not going to tell you how. I could point you to, and today, we don't look at a how, we look at a who. We're going to look at who the solution is with. As we look at today, the Christian solution, this is chapter 7. And I'm going to read this here. You'll see this on the display. This is what Paul wrote in another book called Galatians. In chapter 2, here's what he wrote. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. This is the famous and familiar Galatians 2, verse 20 passage. I Let's read this together, can we? One, two, three. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is a good memory verse. I've been crucified with Christ. By the way, you guys did that. that that's nice. That sounds so pleasant. Oh, Lord. I'm sure the Father was pleased. So Paul goes further and adds that you may be married to one another. As a born-again Christian, you and I need to know that we are technically, we could say, engaged. Now, when do I get married to him? Well, when you pass out of the body, no, don't hasten that. Right? Don't speed that up. He'll either rapture us, the church, his bride home when he comes for his bride, or he'll call you home when it's your time. That's what I'm saying. Don't hasten that up. Good Lord, I'm getting tired of waiting here. <laughs> Let me take some stuff and go to sleep. No, don't do that. He's got a plan. So why would God do this? That you and I should bear fruit to God. That we should bear fruit to God. Spiritual fruit. Let's continue on. Verse 7. What shall we say then? Is a law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. Verse 13, check this out. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. All right, so here's what was happening. As Paul was studying Torah, the law, he realized commandments, like in the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. What are some of the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not steal. Okay, so not stealing, not murdering, not having any, any other God. We're all guilty of all ten, aren't we? Can anybody confess that? We're all guilty of all ten. All of us are. Think about this. Paul was studying the law, and some of them are, let's just say, from a legalistic sense and just a scriptural sense of looking at it, 
of do and not do, do and not do, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, and do this, because most of it's written in the no or don't do. Many of those Ten Commandments, or some of them, are pretty easy to not do. In other words, don't murder. Okay, so an external action. Don't steal. An external action. But when Paul got to something like the Tenth Commandment, which is what we're reading here, you shall not covet. Oh, wait a second. He realized it's not just the external doing and not doing, like refraining from cheating on your wife. Don't commit adultery. Refraining from, I really want to take an axe and hit that guy. No, that's not good. Okay, don't murder. <laughs> Some of you guys are chuckling. You know what I'm talking about. That's the flesh. We all have that, right? And you got to tell yourself no. So it's not just an external command. When God wrote these things, the law is spiritual is what he understood. Not coveting. Wait a second. Now it brought it from an external do and don't do, the action or not acting, the inaction, to the internal thought life. It's a heart issue. It's a spiritual issue. Someone like Paul had to realize, you shall not covet Wait a second. All of us are coveting. And that's not just an external thing of do and do not do. It's the internal thought life, right? And we all have a problem with desiring stuff. David desired his neighbor's wife, Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. He coveted. And it made him do stuff. Made him actually sin and murder and commit adultery. So Paul wrote that, quote, sin produced in me all manner of evil desire. He realized the law is spiritual. It wasn't just a matter of do and not do. It's one of the neat reasons why he wrote this one in here. You shall not covet. Why didn't he mention about not murdering or many of the other external actions of doing and not doing? Because like he's proving throughout his points in this book called Romans, all of us are guilty when it comes to not coveting. That 10th commandment, you and I can go, oh yeah, I'm doing okay, I've repented from that one. Well, that number 10, though, not coveting. Man, you know, back then you might say, don't covet your neighbor's donkey. You hear in the summertime, sounds like a big boat or a Harley. And some of us guys, I don't know girls, but I know some of us guys, I'm like this even. Yeah. Listen to that engine. It's all throaty. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I'm coveting. Ah, oh. Guilty of that one. If I'm guilty of one, I'm guilty of what? Of all of them. It's like, give me a break. So Paul understood the law is spiritual. And Jesus comes along in Matthew's gospel. You've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I tell you. I'm paraphrasing the story. You can go back and read in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel. If you've ever said dummy to someone, the Aramaic term is raka, empty-headed. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because we've all done that. You Maybe you're like looking at me going, dummy. <laughs> maybe you're doing that right now. <laughs> We're all guilty of these things. And if I've thought bad against someone. I've committed murder in my heart. The law is spiritual. If I've said to someone, dummy, stupid, empty head, you know, some TV shows or cartoons you can watch, and it's like full of that, and people laugh at it. 
If I've done that, now what? Now I'm guilty of murdering someone. Think about this. I can't go a single day without sinning then, can I? And don't try. If you can, let me know. Because we're going to need to talk. We're going to have to straighten out your theology. (laughs) And we'll gather around you and pray. But Paul realized that the law is spiritual. The law is not sin, but the law shows me my sin and shows me my shortcomings. Paul even wrote, the law is my schoolmaster to lead me to who? To Christ, the only one that can keep the law. All I can do is break the law. So as we get into this in chapter 7, I want us to know as born-again Christians, no matter where you're at, I'm just going to address you like you're a born-again Christian already. If not, believe and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior for your sins. He died on the cross for your sins. Realize you're a sinner even as this book above all books tells you you're a sinner through and through. God exists. You're accountable to God and His Word. We all are sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all must repent from our sins, receive salvation through Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, who died on the cross for our sins, rose from the grave, and now, having a new life in Christ, we need to walk in this new life. So for the born-again Christian, you're going to most certainly identify with what the Lord teaches us here in these verses, especially these next verses. And I mentioned this before. Take out this thing called a pen. For those of you daring, anybody daring? You got your Bible here? Who here has their physical Bible? If you have the pew Bible, please don't read right in it. Okay, but if you have your own physical Bible, break out your pen. We're going to read here and then we get into the next verse and we'll go on and on uh, and we'll write. But verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual, says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Paul understood the law is spiritual. Okay, so the law doesn't just come of do and not do it's the internal stuff you shall not covet as we looked at so for the daring here's what i want you to do i want you to follow along from verse 14 and on and every time that paul is using a personal pronoun me myself and i circle that pronoun in your bible can you do that We're going to read through this. Take out your pen. Verse 14 and on. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I, circle I, I am carnal, sold under sin. I've got a red pen. I like that so I can stick out and it reminds me. There's a purpose for this. Verse 15. You're going to get sick of these pronouns, by the way, as you go through this. And you might identify with this as I do. Verse 15. For what I am doing, circle I I do not understand, circle I, for what I will do, circle I, that I do not practice, circle I, but what I hate, circle I again, that I do, circle I again. Wow, within one verse alone, he's got how many eyes? One, two, three, four, five, six. Is it this dude thinks about himself all the time? No, there's a purpose for this. Verse 16, if then I... Do, circle I. What I will not to do, circle I there. I agree with the law, circle I again, that it is good. Circle again, the personal pronouns. Verse 17, but now it is no longer I, circle I, who do it, but sin that dwells in me. The word changes, but it's still self-focused, circle me. 
Verse 18, for I know, circle I, that in me, circle me, that is in my flesh, please circle the word my, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, circle me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. Circle I. By the way, that bears repeating. Verse 18. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells what? Nothing good. Nothing good dwells. Please know that. Let's continue on verse 19. For the good that I will do, circle I there, I do not do, circle I again. But the evil I, circle I, will not to do, that I practice, circle I again. But this guy, Paul, he seems really self-focused here, doesn't he? By the way, many people say this is sort of Paul's autobiography here. How can you tell? Personal pronouns. Referring to I, me, my. You might identify with this. Verse 20. Now if I, circle I again, do what I, circle I, will not to do, it is no longer I, circle I, who do it, but sin that dwells in me, circle me. Verse 21. I, again. He really likes that word I. There's a purpose. Verse 21, I find then a law that evil is present with me. Circle me. The one who wills to do good. Verse 22, for I, circle I, delight in the law of God according to the inward man. Verse 23, but I, circle I, see another law in my, circle my, members. Warring against the law of my, circle my, mind, and bringing me, circle me, into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my, circle my, members. Verse 24, here's where it ends. Oh, wretched man that I am, circle I, who will deliver me, circle me, from this body of death. By the way, the last sentence of verse 24 I want you to either highlight, circle, underline, or all of the above, uh, the word who. Very, I'm drawing an arrow to it in mine and circling it. If you've done that, here's mine. I just did it right now, live and on the fly with y'all. If anybody's daring, you're not going to go to hell. You're not rewriting the Bible. You're just highlighting it. Now, even from where you guys are, or maybe even on the camera, when you see all the personal pronouns that are circled, I did in red in my Bible, what do you see? You see a lot of me, myself, and I, right? Anybody see that? Now, this is the problem with a life that's living in the strength of what? The flesh. This is the self-filled life. This is the life that you're living in your own power, in walking in your strength, but not walking in the strength of God's Spirit. This is a problem that all of us have. This is why I want to say this to the born-again Christian. Yes, when you die, you're going to be married eternally with Jesus Christ. But now, you and I must be, let's say, you're training for eternity is one way to look at it. You're preparing for eternity. You and I must continually confess our sins right now, every day. What happens when I get rid of that one? Well, the Holy Ghost is going to point out something else. When? Right away. How many of you know that? Because he loves you. He's going to chasten those whom he loves. And when you...
you realize, like Paul opens up, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Notice this in verse 17. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. What he's getting at here, folks, in this whole me, myself, and I, this unholy trinity of stupidity, as some might say, those things that I know I shouldn't do, I end up doing. Now, this is a guy that studied Torah, studied the law. And the more that you read it, the more that you see the rules and regulations, the more it's going to stick out for you, just like the parents with the kids, right? You write a rule, as soon as it becomes apparent, not just to the parent, but the kid, what do they want to do? It might say, keep off the grass, and you look the next morning, you're like, now look at that, I just put out that sign. Why does someone have to trash the sign and all? It's just the way it is. That's the flesh. You put up a sign that there's no trespassing and a bunch of jokers want to come and stand on that side of the fence and take pictures with the sign that says no trespassing. Why is that? That's the flesh because we see a rule and the flesh wants to break it. I know what I shouldn't do and I end up doing it. I know what I should do and I end up not doing that. God, I want to live holy. I want to do these things. But you notice the the strength that Paul is getting into here before we get to the end of the chapter and into the next chapter. The focus is all on who? On the spirit or self? Self. Self. Do you see that? This is the purpose why I wanted you to write this down. Even as I did in mine. I remember looking in one of my old Bibles. I did the same thing. Like, yeah. Every time that you live according to the strength of your flesh, you're not going to find, as we open up here, looking at what I want to call today's title, the Christian solution. What's the solution for Christians? Good question. you got to ask that question. Look at this in verse 24. you got to discover your own wretchedness. The law was my schoolmaster to lead me to Messiah Jesus. The fact that I can't live according to these rules and regulations. Does that mean you just give up and run away from God and the Bible and Jesus? No. That you would give up and surrender to the strength of your flesh. Make sense? And ask Him to empower you through the Spirit. You know what this is talking about? Christian maturity. And many of us don't get this far, including me. I still struggle with these things. Many of us don't get this far until someone comes along as a friend and just says, You know, this is what the Bible says. And even Paul the Apostle went through this? Are you kidding me? Someone like the Apostle Paul? I'm just a dirt-level disciple. Is that going to happen with me too? Yes. And God's using someone like the Apostle Paul to show you this is common with all humanity. The only one that didn't have to go through this internal trauma, the internal spiritual warfare, was guess who? Jesus the Messiah. But you and I, we do. Especially the longer you were playing around in the world, like me. I got, I had a lot of junk to confess. A lot of junk to throw out. Like, okay, got rid of that. Why? You mean I gotta do that too? Oh, I gotta do that too? Oh, I gotta, I gotta stop hanging around with those friends too? Oh, actually, they weren't really friends. They were dragging me away from Jesus. And Lord, you love me and you want to help me. But my life was all filled of Self, me, myself, and I. 
And when I read your word, and now that your spirit, as a born-again spiritual Christian, he lives within me, he's constantly convicting me. Any of you know what I'm talking about? Oh, this is how you can tell. Romans 7, and some people call this a Romans 7 loop. Romans 7, verse 14 and on to the end of the chapter. When you realize, just like we have a hamster. Little Goldie. <laughs> Cute little chubby. Actually, she's a chubby little critter. She goes on the hamster wheel. Some of you were like me, maybe. Sometimes I feel like I'm on that hamster wheel of life. Or some call the Romans 7 loop. You don't get out of that. You're just constantly living a life, just rules and regulation. God, I can't do this. i got to give up because you say don't do it, I end up doing it. You say do this, I'm like, nah, there's time. Your flesh will lie to you, right? Well, what do I do? you got to get to the end of yourself. You have to see your own wretchedness. I'm speaking to someone here. Or let me just say more specifically and accurately, God is speaking to someone here. Maybe it's all y'all. I know this really spoke to me, and this is one of the breakthroughs that God gave me. I just hope and pray this is going to be helpful for someone here so you can get out of that loop. You can get off the hamster wheel, so to speak, where you're expending all your energy. You get off, you're like, I'm tired. I ain't got nowhere. <laughs> That's me, and I could spend decades doing that. And this is how it is. So you got to see your own wretchedness. Look at verse 24. You can't just live by rules and regulations. Oh, wretched man. For the gals, oh, wretched woman. Wretched man that I am. Look at this question. Brilliant question that you and I need to tap into. It's not a what should I do. It's not a how should I do it. It's not a program that you need. It's a person. And I'm going to say this again. It's not a program that you need. It's a person. Who is that person? Jesus the Christ. Oh, wretched man that I am. Look at this question. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I remember learning from Bob Hoekstra years ago. He's internalizing these thoughts. Who's going to deliver me from this wretchedness, this body of death? I can't do this. I'm either going to give up or I got to grow up. Make sense? And every single born-again Christian, no matter how physically old or young you are, you got to get through this. Or your life is going to be stuck in Romans 7. Romans 8, we talk about love, the love of God. You're not going to get there until you realize and ask this question, like Paul does here. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Again, it's a person, not a program. It's not a matter of, I gotta buy that book. I gotta, well, this preacher on TV says, I gotta do this. I gotta send my money and they're gonna give me this anointed prayer cloth or I gotta go do this and go do that. It's not a program. It's a person. He says, who? He's not asking what or how should I do it? Who? Who will deliver me from this body of death? Look at the answer, the solution. Verse 25, I thank God. Now he's looking outside of, I, I praise God for someone like Pastor Bob Hoekstra. He was used by God greatly in my life. But also in this solution here, I saw the connection. Like, oh yeah, that's great. Internalize the thought. Oh, wretched man that I am. He asked that question, but he's looking outside of self. Because you look internally for self, what do you find? Nothing. In me, nothing good dwells. Not the little engine that could. You reach inside, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. You know what the flesh will show you? No, you ain't. I'm going to pull you down, buddy. Right? 
I'll get up earlier, pray more, fast more, get more energy, give more of myself to God. You get older like me, like, it ain't working too good now, God. It's all flesh. And you got to come to your own wretchedness. You realize they ain't nothing good to me, just like the Bible teaches. And it's a who. Who will deliver me from this body of death? You look outside of yourself and up to God. I thank God. Look at the solution. Specifically now, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Is he your Lord? If he's your Lord, you are his servant. You don't tell your Lord what to do. Oh, but Lord, let's talk about this. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but not do the things I say? So if he's your Lord, do what he's telling you to do. He loves you and he wants the best for your life. He wants you to get out of that, if I might call it, Romans 7 loop here. So then, with the mind on myself, serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. We're going to go ahead and close at this point in time. But the Christian solution, again, it's not a program. The Christian solution is a person. And it's not me. Please don't put your faith and trust in me. I will disappoint you 100.0% of the time. But Jesus Christ will never disappoint you. Amen? He is the solution. The Christian solution is Christ. I'm amazed at how many times I might hear someone preach a message and the solution is, you know, you, you live your best life now. I'm sorry, but if this is my best life that I'm having now and I'm born again, this is pretty bad. Okay? And that's not only that, that's radical heresy. That's totally against God, totally against Jesus, totally against the Bible. <laughs> I don't have to name the person. I think you guys know. And there's a lot of preachers today that are preaching a life embracing what? Self. self. We just went through this, what Paul saw in self. And at the end of it, you got to realize, i got to discover a wretchedness that I am. In me, as in my flesh, verse 18, nothing good dwells. See, so the Christian solution is basically to cry out to God that He would empower you to walk in the power of His Holy Spirit and not obey the demands of your flesh. Get out of that Romans 7 loop. Get off that hamster wheel of life, so to speak, if that's where you're at. And i got to say this. I'd rather preach it to you not holding back because I've discovered for every true born-again Christian, you will go through this. Here's how accurate this is. Even not having spoken to the majority of you about this, look how ubiquitous this is. Who here knows that you can or you're right now going through this? You can go through this. Who here knows? Raise your hand high. Just so that we can see around the room. It's like, you're not weird. Those are proofs that when, when that Christian realizes, I, I can't handle this. Don't stop in chapter 7. You know, Go through it. Get, get to that question. Who will deliver me? Many people say that's how you can diagnose if someone's truly a born-again Christian because they're going to struggle over this. Make sense? You're going to have that internal dilemma, that struggle that we call spiritual warfare, the flesh versus spirit battle. If you don't, and someone's like, bro, I don't know what you're talking about, man. I'm good. I can sleep around, drug around, do whatever I want. I got a conviction of sin? Nah, what are you talking about? He's stupid. You listen to the wrong preachers. This guy on TV says, I give him money and this is good. This is what happens to me. Guess what you know? That guy, that gal, that person ain't saved. So the Holy Spirit comes to live within you to train you for what? Holiness. He's preparing you for eternity to be married to Him. I'm going to close with a word of prayer. 
And then can we get set up that we can close with a song here? We do that, guys? Maybe you want to have some time that you would respond to the Lord in your own way. If you want prayer, though, I'm going to ask that you would simply come to the front as we close with it. We're going to close with prayer and we're going to close with a song. If anybody wants prayer, maybe that you can be empowered by the Lord to get through this thing, whatever it is. Specifically, especially though, if, if what God's teaching you through Romans 7 is speaking to you and you want His help and you want prayer for that, I'm going to ask you to come forward and we can simply pray for you. So guys, can we get set up for that? I'm going to simply close with prayer at this point. So Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for your holy word. Thank you, God, for someone like the Apostle Paul. Thank you, God, that he discovered his own wretchedness, that it wasn't living according to the law. He discovered the law is spiritual. It wasn't just rules and regulations, do's and don'ts. He realized that it was heart issues that you were after. And God, as you come to live within us, you're constantly convicting our hearts as born-again children in the family of God. You've given us a new life. And we're no longer to live in the strength, the power of our old life. We're to trust you, you say, with all of our heart. Trust the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding. And in all of our ways to acknowledge you and you'll direct our path. But God, our problem today is many of us, I know myself, God, I can live in the power of my own understanding. And like Paul writes as we read here in Romans 7, I might be just self-condemning myself, seeing that I can't do it. So help us, Lord, to simply surrender to you. This is a holy moment, Lord, where you're, you're probably cleansing your children. You're probably helping them. You're probably doing a healing work right now. Please do this within our hearts and lives, God. We want to dedicate our lives to you. We want to walk forward in the strength and power that you give us, not in our own strength. Because all we could do is fail. All we could do is see our own wretchedness. But we want to surrender to the work of your spirit. Please help us with that. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.